0: Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. moment called Game Changers. So last week, Dad talked about the feeding of the 5,000s, one of my favorite, favorite stories. Love that story from the Bible. And today, I want to talk about another game changer. And again, I'm kind of going back to my Sunday school roots when I was a kid. These were like some of the Bible stories that I learned, that I grew up on, the things that I knew. So today, I'm going to talk to you about a character that a lot of you know about, and his name is Jonah, okay? Okay. Now, as soon as I say Jonah, you all think, Jonah, swallowed by the whale, and there you go. All right, first of all, can I just debunk the myth? Whales have kind of got a bad rap in this story, because not once ever does it mention whales, okay? Big fish. So, Jonah, swallowed by the big fish. But here's the thing, it can be very, very easy for us to take that story and say, you know what, yeah, that was a story I learned about as a kid, pretty amazing, can't believe it. I've seen the VeggieTales version, I've seen Pinocchio's version. Whatever it is, I know all about that story, and we kind of just leave it back in childhood. But today, what I want to do is I want to pull some things from there that actually are really, really important and they apply to us right now as adults or whatever age group we are in as we sit here today. So I want to look at Jonah. now. Jonah is four chapters of the Bible. I am basically going to summarize it for you, but let me encourage you with this. It's a pretty easy read. At some point over the next few days, can you go back and actually read Jonah and actually get the parts that maybe I'm going to miss because of time restraints or whatever else? Let's take a good look at Jonah. But here's where Jonah comes from. So Jonah is a prophet in the Bible. He's known kind of as the reluctant prophet. We really don't know much about him. He's mentioned once before in the Bible, kind of as a Bible. In passing, it just mentions his name back in 1 Kings. But apart from that, we know nothing much about him, which leads me to believe he wasn't one of the prophets who had like a huge ministry. There wasn't a lot going on around him. There's not much that we know. So Jonah opens up the book of Jonah, and it starts like this. It says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Emittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Not really the best first impression here for Jonah, right? So here we have a prophet. God talks to him. And not only does he just say, you know what, God, I'm not doing that, he then gets himself on a boat headed for, when you look at a map, literally the exact opposite direction of where God had just told him that he needed to go. In fact, for him to get to uh, Joppa and then to head in a boat and end up in Tarshish, Tarshish was about 100 days on a boat. That was how desperate he was to get away from where it was that God wanted him to go. And this morning, what I am reminded and what I take from this story, and I take this, is we may not be prophets. You may not have been called to preach to a city and to save a city of almost a million people, but every single person sitting in this room this morning has a purpose and God has a plan for you whether it is evident or not evident, God wants to use every single person in here. He used Jonah, he wants to use you too. It is so easy for us though to say, yeah about that God, not so sure about that. Okay God, here's the deal. Talking about game changers, you know what? I would be okay with being a quarterback. I'm good with that. I think that would work for my skills. And God says, no, you know what? I know you. I know your skills. I created you. I know what you can do. That's not the role that I had for you. And kind of Jonah is saying here, you know what, God? I'm sorry. I don't want to do what you asked me to do. Now, Jonah personally, I think, had a good case for not going to Nineveh. There were a couple of issues. First of all, Jonah was an Israelite. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. They were arch, arch enemies. And there is a good chance that Jonah, prophet or not, he was a human being. And he probably thought, you know what, God, they really need your judgment. I don't really want to be a part of saving them. I think you just need to take care of them. So there was a good chance that was in his thinking. But also, there is a very, very good chance that he was completely petrified about going to Nineveh. Nineveh was a city of about a million people, but it was known as a ruthless city. When they advanced and they took enemies, oftentimes they would behead those enemies, put their heads on stakes around Nineveh to warn people off. They were known for brutal, brutal techniques of how they dealt with people when they went and they invaded towns and cities and things like that. In fact, it is known that because they were so brutal, if a rumor came that they were going to advance and take over your city, there were whole cities who committed suicide instead of facing what they knew was coming from the Ninevites. These were not nice people. And I'm sure Jonah was thinking, hold on God, you want me to go where? You do know what they do, right? You do know what they've done to everybody around them. That's where you want me to go? Most of the time in 2020 America, God is not going to ask us to risk our lives. And honestly, that might be part of our issue. We live in a country where we have the freedom of religion, we live in a country which is the richest country in the world. We have every Modern convenience and technology is, keeps going and keeps going. We can meet wherever we want, whenever we want, without worrying about it. And for a lot of us, and when I say I am including myself in this, we've become comfortable. And we're okay with comfort. And so, you know what, God, if you ask me to do something where I have to step outside of my comfort zone, I'm not sure I want to do that. We are so used to it. You know what, God, I, I, you know, I'm not sure because I'm just used to it. I come to church on Sunday. I do my thing. Then I go back out, do my thing. I, I'm, I'm good with what's going on. Are you sure you want me to do that? I read a quote this week from Dr. Tony Evans. Um, he's in a church down at Oak, Oak Cliff Bible uh, Church down in Dallas. And he said this, Coming to church should not be the sum total of your investment in advancing the kingdom of God. Nowhere in our Bible does it say that God promises that we're going to be comfortable. But for a lot of us, that's kind of where we're at right now. So when God comes to us and he says, you know what, this is what I want you to do. You know, I would like you to take this on. And we say, you know what, God, I don't know if I want to do that. Or he says, you know what, I'd like you to go talk to those people. And we say, wait, hold up you do know what that person's been doing, right? You do know they're not living exactly the way that we, they should be living. God, don't you think that whatever they are going through right now, it's kind of their own fault because they've kind of brought it on themselves? So easy for us when God calls us to do something to say, yeah, but look at how, what they're doing. Do I really want to get my hands dirty? And God reminds us that we are his hands and his feet on this earth At this time, whatever is going on, sometimes he'll ask us to step out into the unknown, to take on things that we don't want to deal with. Sometimes God will ask us to step out and minister to or reach out to that person who has hurt us the most in life, that person who has wronged us, that person who has done unforgivable things to us. And God says, you know what, this is what I want you to do. God wants us to step out of our comfort zone. And though sometimes we might need convincing, sometimes we might need cajoling, God has ways in which he wants to use every single one of us to be the instruments of change here in this world. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is what we're made for. We are made for it, but we've kind of got ourselves into the routine of, I'll do as little as possible so that I you know, can just maintain the lifestyle I'm used to, or you know, I don't have much time, so this is what I'm going to do. And God created us to do these things. He made us to do the good works for Him. I got an email this week from a family who are it, here in the church as part of our Genesis family. And it blessed me so much, it, it brought me to tears. Uh, this family, this couple, they have five kids. Four of them are older, they've left the house, they have one child still at home and in a couple of years she'll be going to college. She's kind of where a lot of us are. You know what, you've, they're kind of where a lot of us are. You've worked hard, now your kids are starting to move and it's like, okay, Now we can relax, now we can breathe, now life settles down, we kind of can do what we want to do when no more mommy runs on taxis, whatever else it is, we can kind of have time now to enjoy life. And they had become aware in the past couple of weeks of two little boys who are aged 9 and 12. Completely different socioeconomic group from them, these kids were playing up in school and doing things they shouldn't be doing, but they discovered that these kids were being emotionally and physically abused at home. And this email was to tell me, was to ask me, if I would be a reference for them, because they were now taking the steps to take these um, two boys into their home. And it was like, wait, hold on. This is what we're supposed to be about. We are supposed to be making a difference in lives. We're supposed to be doing that. They could have very easily said, you know what? We've done our part. We've raised five kids. You know what, it's, it's no. God calls us to be his hands and his feet, and that might mean we make sacrifices. They are well aware, because I chatted with them, that this is probably not going to be a short-term commitment. This is probably going to be a long-term commitment to these boys. And there is a whole unknown, because who knows how things are going to go. But they said they have just felt God talking to them about the fact that this is what God wanted them to do. They couldn't get it out of their mind. We talk a lot about God talking to us. I'll be honest, I've never audibly heard God's voice. But you know those times when things just go in your head and go in your head or seem to pop up here or there and everywhere, and God talks to you, and that's what they've done. And it was like, God, you know what? Please help me maybe to step out of my comfortable life. Help me maybe to say, okay, God, what is it you want? I have no idea how we're gonna do it. I have no idea what it's gonna look like and I don't know how long this is gonna last for. But you know what? God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And I say, you know what, God? Okay, I'll do that. I have another um, couple who are friends. They live upstate and um, they have five kids and um, I'm sensing a theme here. And I'm a little worried because I have five kids. They have five kids ranging in age from um, six, I believe, to 23 or 24. And last year, they were scrolling through the internet and somehow a picture came up of a little boy in an orphanage in the Ukraine. This little boy was just lying in this this crib, didn't look like anybody was around him, kind of looked like he was just doing his own thing. Little boy, and he had Down syndrome too. And so doing research, the chances of him ever being adopted were pretty slim from that. And they felt God started to talk to them about it and started to say, you know what? You, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I want you to do. And it became a mission. And they have been doing a crazy amount of fundraising. And last week, they actually were in the Ukraine for their first visit with this baby that they're going to call Gavin. First time they're going to meet him. And now they are in the process near in the end, I hope, of adopting this little boy. God calls us to step out. Again, they have no idea how this is going to look. And again, because of Gavin's disabilities, this will be a long-term commitment for them. They are well aware of that. But they really felt that God said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to step out into. This is what I want you to become part of. God has a plan for every single one of us. Every single one of us can be a game changer. We may not be a game changer in the Super Bowl, but you may be a game changer in the life of a little boy or a little girl or a grown boy or a grown girl or an adult man or whoever it is, in one person's life. And then you have absolutely no idea where that goes from there. We may not be called like Jonah, to be a prophet to a whole city, but you may be called to make a difference in one life, two lives, whatever it is. What does God want you to do to get you out of the uncomfortable, to get you into the uncomfortable and get you out of the comfortable this morning? Everyone can be a game changer. When we disregard what God says to us, When God talks to us and we say, yeah, that's not happening, oftentimes, we will find ourselves drifting away from him. Now, I am not talking about the fact that God talks to you and then you get yourself on a boat for 100 days to head in exactly the opposite direction. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that oftentimes when God talks to us and we say, you know what, God, I can't do that. And the voice keeps going and keeps going, and we keep being reminded, and things keep coming up about it, oftentimes we can start to turn away from God. Hebrews 13.5 says this. God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you. Matthew 28.20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age romans 8 uh, 38 39 for i am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord see here's the thing with all of this when we start to drift away from god when we start to, do, to say, you know what, I don't want to have any part of that. I don't want to be part of that. God doesn't move. God is always in the same place. We start to move away from him. As we say, you know what, God, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to do that. I don't think I can do that. I just don't think that is possible for me to do. And we start to drift. We stop doing our daily devotions. We stop praying, we take a break from church. We think that, you know what, maybe if I don't communicate with him, he'll just quit communicating with me and we'll be all good to go. And we find ourselves moving further and further away from God. We start hanging out with the wrong crowd in the wrong place again. And we start to get away from where God wants us to be, but at no time does God move. There is nothing that can separate us back to that verse in Romans, nothing can separate me from God's love. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, he's always right here. He's not going anywhere. He still loves me. He's still there for me. And we start to drift away. And that's kind of what Jonah did, right? He started to drift away from God. He literally got himself in a boat and ended up in the wrong way. And I'm sure the thought was, you know what, maybe if I hide from God, he won't be able to find me, and then maybe he'll just leave me alone about this whole crazy Nineveh thing that he has going on for me. So Jonah's on this boat. He's headed to Tarshish. And all of a sudden, a huge storm comes up. And this storm is threatening to basically wreck this ship that he is on. And the, so- and the sailors on there are starting to say, well, what is going on? What What's happening? Come on, in the end, they say, You know what? Here's what we're going to do. Said, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. It was like it finally took this huge, huge storm for Jonah to remember who he served and how powerful God was. And sometimes I truly believe that God is going to allow storms in our lives because he just wants to get our attention. Because it's like, you know what? You're not listening to me. What's it going to take? Okay. I am not saying that God causes every storm in our life. And I'm not saying that every storm in our lives is because that we have been disobedient to God. But what I am saying is I'm convinced that sometimes there are some things in our lives that he just says, you know what? Have I got your attention yet? Sometimes... It takes the presence of a storm in our life to remind us of how powerful God is. And that was where Jonah is right here, right? He's in this storm, in this ship. It is rocking and rolling and whatever else it's doing. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry line. Finally, I remember who it is. And right now, some of you may be facing storms in your life. And again, it's not only due to what your disobedience, although a lot of storms in my life, I'll be honest, if I backtrack them, I've made some pretty bad decisions probably along the way. And he doesn't cause them all. But it may be for some of you this morning, he's saying, what's it going to take? Have I got your attention yet? Are you listening yet? Do you hear what I'm saying? See, God speaks to every single one of us. So many times in this line of work, doing what, what I do and dad does, we get messages from people. You have a, crea- a closer cre- uh, connection to God, so could you please pray for X, Y, or Z? God does not speak to me anymore because I am 18 inches higher than you are this morning. God speaks to each and every single one of us in different ways. It may be that quiet voice. It may be that nudging from a friend it may be the internet i'll be honest nowadays there are sometimes when i'm scrolling through mindlessly my social media feeds it's like wait what and then i'll see it here there and everywhere else and it's like okay i guess you know god you have my attention i I understand what you're saying to me however it is in my daily reading of the bible god just brings a verse and it kind of zaps me in the face whatever it is god speaks to each and every one of us that we are here and we have a choice. Very straightforward choice. Do we obey or do we disobey? With disobedience, there may come a storm as God tries to grab your attention. Happened here with Jonah, there was the biggest of all storms that came. And when he does that, it may be because he just wants to get your attention, but he always does it because he loves us and he knows what is best for us. So here's Jonah. He now has a choice. Does he keep running or what does he do? So they're in the boat. They're deciding what to do and the sea is getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea sea calm down for us? And he says, here's what you need to do. Pick me up, throw me overboard, get rid of me, and then God has no reason to be annoyed with all of you and the storm will stop. Instead, the men, of course, did not want to do that. They tried to throw things overboard, got rid of their cargo. They tried to row themselves out of the storm and see if they could get in front of it. But none of that worked. So in the end, they said, "Okay, I guess this is what we have to do. They took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And the storm stopped. And to be honest, it may seem that the worst was over for Jonah. It may seem, okay, you know what? Got rid of that boat-busting storm the end. Uh, that's it. I'm done. I personally think the worst part of the story comes next. Now, part of it is for this reason. So I grew up in, in a fishing community in Scotland, which meant that every summer on my breaks from high school, uh, I would work in a fish processing plant. It was awful you cannot get rid of the smell of fish off yourself when you just you work in it all day you are surrounded by it there were scales you'd be picking scales off your hands for like days after you'd finished a shift or whatever it was really really bad in fact i have no idea how some of you eat raw fish because i i having grown up there to no longer eat fish because i just can't so i personally think the worst part of the story comes now Because they throw him overboard, and we all know, a big fish comes and it swallows him. And he now finds himself in the belly of this huge fish. I can only imagine the smells and the slime and whatever else. This is not a Disney movie here. He did not have a candle. Or a flashlight and little friends to hang out with him while he was down there, like in Veggie Tales. Okay? He didn't have any. He's inside the stomach of this fish. Ew! I, I can't even. And this is where he finds himself at this time, right there. From, but, here's what happens when he's down there. We go to Jonah too. From inside the fish. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God he said in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry wait what it took you being inside the belly of a fish to say hey maybe I should pray any familiarity with sometimes our situations? We may not find ourselves in the belly of a fish. Thank the Lord. Okay? But we may find ourselves in some pretty rotten situations. And how many times do we say, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. All right, that eh, that didn't work out. Oh, I guess I'll just pray. Right? Right? How insulting must that be to God sometimes? When we look on prayer, when we look on talking to him, when we look on calling to him as kind of a last resort, if all else fails, break the glass and pray, right? It's like, no, that's not how this is supposed to work. Hebrews 4 says this, and no, now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. We do not have to go throw somebody else to get to Jesus. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Prayer should be the first thing that we do when things are good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is. We have this opening. We have this fellowship with God. We have this ability to say, you know what? I can just go talk to God at any time. Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, is ours to intercede with. That's what we need to do. But it's at this stage, right, when we go back... um, Jonah is, you know, finally realizes this, that he can pray. And so the the second book of Jonah is really Jonah's prayer. It talks about what he says when he is in the belly of a whale. And there's some really actually great progression here in his thinking and in his praying while he's down there in the belly of the fish. Can I just say this? Um, When you go to Jonah 2 and you read this prayer and you see what what he said here, what I love is the fact that actually he's quoting a whole bunch of different psalms in this prayer. That's kind of where he's pulling it from. And it got me thinking about this. Like I just said, he was in the belly of a fish. He did not have his Bible. He did not have Google. He did not have Version. How did he know these psalms? He knew them. We need to be in touch with, we need to know God's word, because there are going to be times when we're going to need to be able just to pull them up and just remind ourselves of them. In the middle of the night when the devil's feeding us lie after lie, you know what? If I have that readily uh, uh, available to me, when I have that right on the tip of my tongue and I can say, that's not true because God says, that's not true. That's what God says. I am find myself in a situation that is not good, and I say, you know, God promised this, so this must all be not true. Just a reminder to each and every one of us, we need to have God's word available to us. I feel like I've talked about that quite a bit recently, but it's so important to us. So here he is. He's in the belly of the fish, and this is what he says. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So there's a progression here that we find in this verse. So he starts out by saying things like, from the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. I've been banished from your sight. The engulfing waters surrounded me. The roots of the mountain I sank down. My life was ebbing away. Now, at no point did Jonah actually need to tell God where he was. God actually knew where he was. God knew where he was because God had provided the fish that swallowed him up. So he knew exactly where, what was happening. But I truly believe here, Jonah needed to get to the point where he was acknowledging his position. He was saying, okay, God, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. I really can't get any lower than this. I'm in the belly of a fish. I'm in the bottom of the sea, no idea where I'm going, don't know what's happening. And sometimes it's only when we get to the end of ourselves when we realize there is absolutely nothing else that will help us bar a miracle. Sometimes we need to get there. We need to hit rock bottom because at that point, we get to see God at work. At that point, we get to see what God is capable of. At that point, we get to see that, you know what, God's promises are true and what he has said is actually going to happen. Sometimes it takes our lives falling apart around us for us to get to that point. The book of Isaiah talks about God says that he will bring beauty from ashes. And it's a verse we talk about a lot, but here's the thing. For there to be ashes, something needs to have been burned and destroyed. It's how you get ashes, a fire consumes something. And sometimes it may be that those things we hold dear, it may be that things need to be reduced to ashes or pretty close there too. marriage, finances, employment status, health. It may be that God says, OK, gone. Now you get to see what I can do. Now you get to see how I can work. Now you're going to see beauty come from that situation. From a lot, for a lot of us, uh, I am exhibit A. I can show you points in my life where literally there be nothing left but ashes. But now I look back and I see, you know what, God, man, you made something good out of all that. I had no idea at the time what was going to happen, but you created something beautiful out of what was the worst experience or moment or thing that ever happened to me in my life. I see what you did from that. I can look back and see. So Jonah had to acknowledge where he was at that point. Then he makes a decision. Jonah 2.4, he says, I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah 2.7, he says, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So the temple was God's dwelling on earth. It was the place that when uh, Daniel was in captivity, he would open his windows and he would pray towards the temple right there in Jerusalem. He would pray right towards it. Now, Jonah, of course, had absolutely no idea what direction Jerusalem was in at that point. In fact, he didn't probably know what was up and down or whatever. He just knew that he was right there in the belly of a fish somewhere in the ocean. But there's a greater significance here with these two um, verses. See, the central point of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant with its blood-sprinkled mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the focal point. And here, I believe, the prophet Jonah is saying, you know what? He's going to look back again to the place of pardon. He's going to look back again to the place of God's mercy. Having reached the absolute bottom, he was looking to God for mercy. And sometimes I need to acknowledge, you know what, this is where I am. And I realize that some bad decisions on my part oftentimes have got me where I am. But I'm going to look to God for mercy. I'm going to turn back towards God and say, you know what, God, please take that and use it. And finally, Jonah receives his deliverance. Jonah 2.8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. See, Jonah's deliverance did not come from the time he left the fish. It happened to him, actually, while he was still in there. See, he had no idea when he is writing this whether he was actually ever going to get out of the fish. For all he knew, that fish body was going to become his casket. This might be the end for him. But he got to the point where his relationship with God was restored. He got to the point that he remembered that salvation only comes from one place— And the belly of that fish switched from being the depths of hell and instead became a place where he offered praise and thanksgiving to God. Just like Jonah. It's often our heart that needs a transformation, not necessarily our circumstances. We need to get to the point where in spite of our circumstances, you know what, God, I'm going to offer you praise. I'm going to offer you thanksgiving. No matter what is going on around me, I'm going to look up and I'm going to turn to you and offer you that. Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what. Whether you be in the belly of a fish or whatever else is going on. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Always. No matter what is going on. If you want to hear more about that verse, I think I taught on it a few months ago, so uh, there's a lot going on there. But always, no matter what is happening, we need to be rejoicing in the Lord. And then, because this story could not get any worse, it did. Jonah 2.10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Ew, ew, it just gets worse okay so now he's fish vomit. this is what happens to him but he's out of that place and he's out of there the final thing i get from this story there is always a second half john 3 1 and uh, jonah 3 1 and 2 then the word of the lord came to jonah a second time go to the great city of nineveh and proclaim to it the message that i give you now you notice here that God's message actually did not change. He did not make allowances for everything Jonah had been through. Huge storms, swallowed by a fish, thrown up by a fish. It didn't change his message. You guys ever see that meme on uh, social media or whatever, if at first you don't succeed, do it the way your mother told you in the first place? Right? If at first you don't succeed, you know what? Do it how God told you the first time around. See, in hindsight, we can see how much heartache, how much pain, how much emotions Jonah would have saved himself if he'd just done it God's way in the first place. We get the benefit of being able to read the story in here. How many of us in our lives, if we had it written down in a story somewhere, would be able to look back and say, if only I had done it that way in the first place. Perspective is a funny thing. How many times do we look back and we say, if only? And so Jonah heads now to Nineveh. And he heads to Nineveh and he gives them the message that actually God had told him to give the first time around. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Goes on, even the king did it. Everybody in that, ta- in that city turned themselves around because of the message. Now, here's what I get from this, I'll be honest with you. I really wish, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight-word sermon. That was all it took. Forty more days and Nineveh will be turn- overturned. Eight words you know what that tells me that tells me that it wasn't just Jonah with the words it was God using Jonah and moving through Jonah and actually God initiated and started what would happen once he gave those words see here's the thing when God calls you to do something he does not say okay here's what you you need to do bye God went with Jonah, that's the only way that would happen. A million people heard eight words and they turned around. Whatever God is calling you to, whatever God is calling you for, here is the great, great news from the story of Jonah this morning. You may turn him down once. You may turn him down twice. You may keep going. But with God, there's always a second half. God gives second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, however many number of chances. Lamentations 3 says this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. And this verse is one to underline. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Doesn't matter what I did yesterday. Doesn't matter at all. I love it. No matter how bad yesterday went, no matter how many times I felt God told me something and I said, yeah, sorry, no. I wake up tomorrow morning to a fresh set of mercies. And God says, okay, let's try this again. And that goes on until I follow what God said. Story of Jonah. Kind of like Groundhog Day. I wake up the next day, we do it again until I finally get to the point where I say, you know what, God, I'm going to do it. And this morning, here's my encouragement to you. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you've heard me talk about God talking to you and you knew exactly what I was talking about. Because there's something that's been nagging you or God's been talking to you about and it's like, you know what, I don't think I can do it. I am sure Jonah did not think he could deliver an eight-word sermon and have a million people turn their lives around. But between you and God, nothing is impossible. And this morning, I want to encourage you with this. You may think you've blown it. You may have said, you know what? I've run away from God so far, I don't even know how to get my way back anymore. And God says, I haven't shifted. I'm still standing right here. Take my hand. I will bring you back to me. What is it that God wants you to do? Everybody can be a game changer. Can you imagine what this world would be like if even this group of people in here just this morning started saying, you know what, God? I'm gonna be a game changer. What is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to reach? Who do you want me to talk to? Them, are you sure? Okay, I'll do it. Imagine the lives that we could change, the circumstances that we could change, the situations we can change. God never gives up on us. God made you on purpose and for a purpose. And as we cry out to God, God says, you know what? I'm bringing you back into my family. I'm bringing you back into my fold. If you've been going in the wrong direction, today is a good day to turn around. Place your life back in the hands of the Father and let him do what it is he wants to do in you and through you. Just whatever it is that he has planned. Hey, won't you stand with me and let's pray.